All right. I believe it's on. Can we turn this down just a notch so I can hear myself think? This. Yeah. Just one notch. Well, the last time I was here, we studied uh, in the book of Colossians. Actually, the last three times I've been here. And I'm going to be here one more time. That'll be uh, Wednesday. Uh, but we have been going through the book of Colossians. And uh, last week we studied about uh, the grace that Paul wanted uh, the Colossians to have. And this week we'll study uh, the peace that he also wanted uh, them to have. Can everybody hear me? All right, good. Uh, let me begin by uh, first telling you my first vivid memory, which actually reminds me in a way of peace. Um, some of you might have heard this before, but my first remembered thing in life, the first thing I, I remember is of a train ride uh, that uh, we left Arkansas, followed by an unremembered arrival in Detroit with my mother, three other siblings, my grandmother, and my 12-year-old Uncle Doth, which is short for Adolf. And yes, I am German. Uh, the trip took place in 1950 when I was three years old. Uh, my mother and father divorced, and my mother took us to Detroit to live with my grandparents. In fact, my grandmother came to Arkansas to help my mother make the trip with four children in tow, all of us under six years old. Um, the most vivid part of the memory is of sleeping in a berth on a train with my other siblings. Actually, it's the only thing I remember about the trip. Uh, we were sleeping uh, next to an open window. Uh, it was dark, and, and it was raining. Under the covers, it was warm and cozy from body heat, but the berth itself was cold uh, inside the berth. And there was a, 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 an open window, and um, through the window, um, I could feel a mist was uh, landing on my face and my arm that was uh, exposed. And uh, as I lay there under the covers, listening to the uh, rhythmic click-clacking rumble from the wheels, I remember thinking how good it all felt. The warmth, the cold, the dark, the mist, and the rhythm of the wheels. But mostly the comfortable warmth and safety from my brother and sisters as we lay there together. As I drifted closer and closer to falling asleep, I remembered thinking I didn't want those feelings to end. And, but they did, because that's the only thing I remember. So why am I telling you this? Like I said, we're going to begin today talking about peace. Not peace as the world defines it, but biblical peace. Worldly peace, generally, is the absence of conflict, or perhaps what I experienced on the train ride. And as Christians we would agree that peace can include the element of no conflict or good feelings. However, the peace only our God 
the Lord Jesus Christ can give us isn't centered around or focused on conflict or the absence of trouble or good feelings. But instead, it is peace in the heat of trouble in spite of trouble. It's peace that trouble can't dislodge or wipe out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Um, feeble Father, we ask that uh, you would help us this morning, Lord, to uh, hear your word. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives, Lord. Um, help us, Lord, to grow from it and uh, to know you better from it, Father. We just pray that you would uh, work on our lives to that end this morning, Father. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, our text this morning is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We've read it many times already. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In an attempt to find peace, my mother eventually remarried. But her self-effort at peace brought with it much turmoil and chaos. She went from a union with my father that both her and her, her and he claim uh, not one argument occurred until they were divorced. She went into a union with my stepfather where argument was the course throughout the day and most of the night. She only recently found real peace in Christ at the age of 93. Thank God for that. Um, I don't ever recall hearing my um, stepfather say shalom to anyone, not even in response to his Jewish friends and relatives, who almost always approached him saying, Shalom, Abe. He only responded to shalom with a hearty hello because he wasn't a practicing Jew. Actually, more American. He had a passion for pork. Uh, he didn't follow any of their laws. And, and he loved Christmas. And most of all, he loved shopping. But that's another story altogether. And I've told that before, too. But Wikipedia defines the word shalom as a word meaning peace, harmony, completeness, prosperity, and welfare, and it can be used idiomatically to mean both hello and goodbye. As it does in English, it can refer to either peace between two entities, such as between God and man, or it can mean the well-being, welfare, or safety of an individual or group of individuals. However, in its purest sense, though, the word shalom means peace. The connotation is positive. That is, when someone says shalom or peace unto you, it doesn't mean, I hope you don't get into any trouble or conflict, which has a negative connotation, but it means, I hope you have all the highest good coming your way. The highest good anyone could have is to be right with God, to have peace with God. The natural man lacks peace with God. 
We all come into the world fighting against God because we are a part of the rebellion that started with Adam and Eve. Romans chapter 5, verses, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. This verse says that we were enemies of God. That means we fought against God and we were rebellious and counterproductive to God's will. And most everything we did showed that we rejected His promises and His principles. But even though we were His enemies, He chose to change our circumstances and He saved us. And we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Jesus. When we received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we ceased being enemies of God. We made a truce with Him. That is, those of us who surrendered to Him. And we came over to his side. And the hostility we had towards him was ended. Jesus Christ secured that truce with his own blood shed on the cross. We have a covenant of peace that declares the genuine fact that we are now at peace with him. And that's because of him. That's what he did for us. This is an amazing and wonderful peace. Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 22 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Let me get a drink here. Excuse me. Yes, we are reconciled with God, which is something we could have never done on our own. Jesus did that for us by suffering on the cross on our behalf. Paul says he made peace through the blood of his cross. It is, it is an astonishing, fantastic, and magnificent gift of peace. And yet Jesus speaks of another kind of peace, every bit as amazing, and it has nothing to, at all to do with circumstances. That's because this kind of peace is a peace that is not dissolved or changed by what happens on the outside. Trials and turmoil may come. In fact, trials and turmoil do come. But this peace is constant and enduring throughout the duration of the meanest of trials and conflict. This peace is not diminished by anything, including pain or suffering. John chapter 16, verse 21 says, Whenever... A woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Strange verse to use here, perhaps. But Jesus was making a point concerning peace 
that he was giving to his disciples through the Holy Spirit to use when he would leave them and return to the Father against the anguish they would have over his departure through death. Although at this point, Jesus' disciples were unaware of his looming suffering and painful death. Painful circumstances come to all of us, and sometimes they cause anguish, torment, agony, torture, grief, distress, and suffering. We can't avoid these things. Jesus himself was facing all this, and he knew every stroke of cruelty that he would endure at the hands of self-righteous men. And as he faced all these things, look at who and what he was concerned about. Jesus, talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified, says in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. There you may be also. Jesus is concerned for his disciples and their troubled hearts and reassures them they will be reunited with him soon and that they have assurance of a dwelling place with him in his Father's house in the future. He continues in John chapter 14, verse 27 through 29. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Jesus is concerned with his disciples' peace and leaves them with his true peace, which accommodates God's will and sovereignty over all things. That's the opposite of what the world offers. The world does not accommodate nor tolerate God's will and sovereignty. They want all trials to stop and go away immediately and won't be shaped or molded in any of them for God's will or for God's purpose. But Jesus leaves his disciples with the right kind of peace so that they will be shaped and molded for God's will and won't be concerned and won't be troubled in their hearts and won't be fearful in the worst of troubles. Jesus is also concerned for their belief in the right things, and he gives them evidence of proof for their belief when he says, Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. So in the midst of hurtful, lying accusations and looming torture, Jesus, knowing what pain and torture would come to him, was concerned for others. But what is Jesus' concerned about as he hung on the cross in the actual midst of intense and unbearable torture and pain. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34 says, 
when they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Nails piercing his hands and feet, pinning him to the cross as the Roman soldiers gamble for his garments. He hangs as a criminal that people jeer at, an intense pain from the cross and from the beatings that he had taken and from the rejection of those he created. Jesus is concerned and his focus is on the forgiveness of those who perpetrated this horrible deed. Not only that, but it says in John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27, when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Jesus. Enduring pain, unimaginable, designed for a torturously slow, agonizing death, is concerned for his mother's well-being and arranges for her care, most likely with the disciple John as he hangs nailed to the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43, says one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurtling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Not far from dying, after having spent hours suffering the cruel purpose of crucifixion on the cross, Jesus' concern is focused on the thief's eternal welfare. Jesus assured the thief that same day he would be in paradise with him. Did Jesus have pain? Certainly he did. Did he suffer agony? Without a doubt, Jesus suffered. The pain didn't stop, and the pain didn't go away. What Jesus didn't do, though, was despair, or have hopelessness, or even worse, blame God the Father like so many people do when trials come. Luke chapter 23, verse 46 says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Contrary to blaming God the Father, Jesus, as he always does, entrusted himself to his loving Father. His desire was to do the will of the Father. Knowing the cost and the design of crucifixion, Jesus willingly accepted the ministry for our good and suffered the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author 
and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Was it for the joy of pain? No. For the joy of suffering agony? No. For the joy of shame? No. But like the woman travailing in childbirth, Jesus' joy was to reconcile man with God, which was the end result of his suffering, and the exhibited peace in the midst of his suffering. The peace Jesus possesses in the midst of his trials also enables believers to remain calm in the most wildly fearful circumstances. It enables them to hush a cry, to still a riot, rejoice in pain and trials, and sing in the middle of suffering. Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 26 says there the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The peace that Jesus gives affects and even overrules circumstances. But it is never the other way around. Circumstances never hinder this peace. But don't get the mindset that circumstances are always affected or overruled by the peace our Lord has given to believers because they're not. Acts chapter 7, verse 59 through 60. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. As Stephen calls on the Lord and commands his, commends his soul to him, he humbly play, prays for his killers to be held blameless for their ugly deed. But the stones continue to hit their mark. The pain wasn't stopped, and neither was death. But Stephen had the peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul didn't fret about his problems. Instead, he set his mind on the promises of God. 
That's why he could write in the midst of his own trials and tribulations. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul knew that God would sustain him and ultimately glorify him. And that his problems were only temporal. So Paul looked beyond those temporal things and focused on the things that are going to last forever, the things that are eternal. Pain, tragedy, hardship, and death are very real in Christians' lives, as some of you know personally, perhaps more than others of us. And you also know that these things are indiscriminate. They can happen to us any time or anybody. Rich, poor, young or old, pastor or missionary or plain John Doe Christian, they happen. And we grieve and we cry and it's okay to do both. Did you know that? It's okay to grieve and cry. Jesus grieved and he wept over Lazarus. But he didn't despair, and neither should we. Isaiah chapter 26, uh, verse 3. This is in the Nazbe. It says, Steadfast, The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. And in the King James it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. Where does a person find the kind of peace that is not just the absence of trouble, but the kind of peace that cannot even be affected by danger, sorrow, or trouble of any kind, the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The Holy Spirit is the giver of this peace. And He dispenses it as a gift. We just read in Galatians that one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. You might ask, if it was Christ's peace, why is the Holy Spirit giving it? The answer is found in John chapter 16 verses 13 through 15. But first, let's look at three other verses. Philippians chapter 4, 9 says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace, who brought up 
from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the God of peace. Okay, so here's the answer to our question. If it was Christ's peace, why is the Holy Spirit giving it? John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15 says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. Notice that every promise Jesus made to His troubled disciples on the night before His death, recorded in the Gospels, was instituted through Christ and hinged on the sending of the Holy Spirit. That's because it is the Spirit of God who discloses, divulges, and releases the things of Christ and gives them to us. Before a person can experience this kind of peace, he first must make peace with God because the peace that surpasses all understanding is not obtainable by those who have not made peace with God. In other words, it's not available to those who haven't been saved by Christ and don't have a personal relationship with God through Christ and don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself and also aren't spirit-filled because it is the Spirit of God who takes the things of Christ and gives them to us. The peace that comes from being in a right relationship with God is not the peace of this world. The world's peace depends on having favorable circumstances. If things are going well, then we feel peaceful. When things go awry, the peace quickly changes in the human effort fueled by fear, turmoil, and chaos, assisted by either self-preservation or self-advancement. At any rate, worldly peace doesn't match the peace of God because they are two different things. Jesus made the distinction between his peace and the world's wavering peace in John chapter 14, uh, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, we have a wonderful promise. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is important to note the context of this promise because that's where we find the condition of the promise. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. God's peace is promised to those who pray with thanksgiving about everything. When we do, we get the fulfillment of the promise. 
and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our hearts and minds will remain focused on the eternal God and His promises and kept free of paralyzing, faith-wrecking fear, self-preservation, and self-expansion. The believer who places his or her full confidence in our loving God and is thankful in every circumstance will possess a supernatural peace and inner calm will dominate their hearts. The faithful believer will know peace and his heart and mind will be guarded by it despite the tempest raging without. No one, especially those outside of Christ, will be able to fathom that peace. To most, it will remain a mystery how someone can be so serene in the midst of turmoil. Turmoil. This peace will surpass the ability to understand it. God's supernatural peace surpasses natural understanding. A cancer patient who experiences a remission of the disease may proclaim I am so thankful to God, and that's what we call praise. But a cancer patient who is dying and in pain may calmly remember Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that cancer pain laden patient then proclaim everything is alright and I have peace in my heart now that's what we call the peace that surpasses all understanding to have that supernatural peace available puts us under obligation to lean on it Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. That's not a command to seek peace, but rather a plea to let the Lord's peace work in us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In effect, Paul says, you have this peace, now let it rule. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Excuse me again. I got a very dry mouth this morning. The peace Paul seeks for the Colossians is an exper- experiential peace that increases with use and the practice of bringing all things to God in prayer. It is tranquility of the soul a settled, positive peace that affects the circumstances of life. It is a peace that is aggressive rather than being victimized by circumstances as it marches headlong into trials and advances through them triumphantly for the glory of God. It is a supernatural, positive, perpetual, Holy Spirit-given tranquilizer. This peace is the heart's calm after Calvary's storm. It is the firm conviction that he who spared not his own son will also, along with him, freely give us all things. 
Now that these things have been said, I've got to tell you that God is not a pharmacist that we go to for a pill or a formula when we only need help with trials and the anxiety and fear that they bring. Let's revisit a verse we've already read. Look again at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says we should be anxious for nothing. Okay? So trials come, and my anxiety increases. So I follow the next part of the Scripture that says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Isn't that easy enough? Prayer plus thanksgiving equals peace. So I pray, and then I wait for the promised peace and end of anxiety which never come. What happened? Why am I stuck with my anxiety and lack of peace? I prayed the right way. When statements are made like be anxious for nothing in the Word of God, they are, they are often followed by the reason not to be anxious. However, in this verse, it precedes the statement not to be anxious. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. The Lord is near. My problem could be that I was seeking a pill or a formula and visited God, my pharmacist, whom I hadn't visited for a while, seeking relief for a chronic condition that needs continuous care and constant visits with the doctor. It's about a constant relationship with a triune God who is always near. Oh, we do need to pray with supplication and thanksgiving and let our request be known unto Him when trials come. But it's not about the prayer as much as it is about walking with our God always who has come close to us and hears us. Our sins are the only thing that could separate us from Him and they have been forgiven, washed clean in His blood, he is always near, but sometimes Christians turn their back on Him and ignore Him with long spans in between visits with Him until trouble arises. Yes, we want to pray instantly then, fast and hard when that happens. God is near and holding the umbrella with which to shield His people when storms come. But they sometimes walk out from under the umbrella into the tempest unprotected, so to speak. We walk away from God's care, distracted by things like work, finance, family, pleasures of all kinds, relationships, vacations, you name it. And it can interrupt our relationship with God by taking His place in worship. How is your peace today? If you are unsaved this morning, and I don't think any of you are, unfortunately, you can't know real peace in that condition. You only have the illusion of peace 
and of control over a life that doesn't belong to you. We are created by God to serve God and not ourselves. We are His workmanship and created in His image for His purpose. You need to surrender the control of your life back to God to whom it belongs. Jesus Christ, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, paid the penalty for my sins and yours on a cross of Calvary and shed His blood, suffering the cruelty and death meant for me and you. Jesus Christ willingly took our place. Please confess your sins to Him today and turn from them to serve Him. Accept all that Christ did for you personally in His death, His burial, and His resurrection and make peace with God. You too can share in the peace that passes all understanding. The alternative is a real and little literal hell filled with fire and brimstone. Hell is created by God for Satan and the fallen angels that followed him. Any person who goes there is going to be out of place and will pay a price unimaginable. Heaven is free to those who follow Christ. Christian, if like me, you can look back at your life this past week and find times and events when peace was far from you, then your relationship with Christ is probably suffering. I would like to leave you now with one verse. And I ask that throughout this next week, you read and study it in prayer and in meditation, finding in it help you can use to improve your relationship with our God. That verse is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. It says there, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Thanks for listening. Any uh, questions or comments? All right. Let's pray then. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us uh, this week, Lord, to study this verse. Help us uh, take it to heart, Lord. Help us to uh, mull it over and over and over, Lord. Find the things that we need to have in our life, Lord, that help us uh, to have a better relationship with you, Lord. Uh, That's what we seek and that's what we need, Father. Uh, Thank you and praise you for your word. Uh, We pray for... uh, Uh, The next person that's coming up, Father, uh, that's going to stand in a pulpit, Lord, and give your word, we pray that you uh, would be with him and provide for him. Help us, Lord, uh, to hear your voice and what he says, Lord. Help us to uh, take those things in and use them, Lord, the way that you uh, want us to. And I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.